And you finally made it back to Southern Hills. Give yourselves a round of applause. Praise God you're here. And it's time to study the Bible. We're in Ephesians chapter number six and verse one as we are walking through the entirety of this book and specifically the last four weeks, we are week four, in a sermon series entitled Walk and how a practical guide to the Christian theology we have already studied thus far. You know, I gotta tell you, my wife and I, we love, we love being parents. And also, it's not so easy. How many of you love being parents and sometimes you, it's not so easy. How many of you are like that? Okay, so today's passage addresses you as parents on how a Christian can practically parent their children in a society that is very much like Ephesus, like Rome, like Corinth, like Las Vegas, how to raise godly children in a wicked city. That's what we're talking about today, baby steps, a guide for practical pairing. My wife and I love to travel. We've traveled uh, since we were first married, since the very early days of our marriage. We love to travel and get out and walk through uh, the cities of our, our great country or the cities of this world or great places like the jungles or the forests. And we've done so with our kids. We've raised them to enjoy travel. It's a, our favorite thing to do together as a family. So we've, we've walked through all sorts of cities together, step by step, walking through the streets of San Francisco or New York or Chicago. We've walked through the jungles of Vanuatu, my son and I, Mexico, uh, walked through the jungles of <clears throat> Los Angeles, all over the place we've been, <laughs> just spending time uh, together. Our most recent walk, or one of our most recent walks, was this last uh, June. We went up to Zion National Park. Anybody been to Zion National Park? You been there? And then we went on the Narrows. Anybody been on the Narrows, the hike the Narrows? Have you been the Narrows? And you can hike in the Narrows as far as you want. You walk for about a mile and a half, and then you get off the, off the trail into the river, and you walk in the river, in the river you walk. For those who don't understand what I'm saying, you're walking in the river where the water comes and it touches your feet. And you walk in the, how many of you have ever done the narrows like that? Okay, and how far did you go? Does anybody know how far they, how far did you go? I think we've talked about this. Six miles, is that all the way to the springs? Okay, so you might be thinking to yourself, okay, that's where we walk. You might be thinking six miles there, six miles back. That's a long walk right? However, it's not just six miles there. You're walking in the river. Did I mention we're walking in the river? And in the river, it's very, very slippery and, and watery, and you can slip and fall, and people have fallen all over. I remember we were walking with my mother probably, uh, boy, 20 years ago or so now. My wife and I were newlyweds with my parents, and my mother is one of the toughest women you've ever met in your life. I mean, she ain't joking around, man. And we're walking down and she's just hiking the best she can and all of a sudden she slips and she falls into the river. And as she slipped and fell in the river, she, her hand went down and I heard her say, ow! Just like that. I said, oh man, something's wrong with mama. And she lifted her hand out of the water and this finger was pointed this direction. <laughs> And I thought, what is she going to do? Like, what is she going to do? And I'm like, ah! And she's not saying, or she just, she just grit her finger, like, grit her teeth. And I, I said, what are you? And she grabbed, all of a sudden, how many of you have a mother like this? She grabbed her finger, and she went like this, yeah! And set it in place. And she looked at me while she was doing it, as if to say, I am much more of a man than you'll ever be. 
I'll never forget this, never forget this. She stood up and she walked out of there. I mean, with a broken finger, step by step, one foot in front of the other. How do you make it through a long walk? How do you make it through a long journey, any kind of a hike? And that, that is this, no matter how tired you are, no matter how exhausted you might be, no matter how slippery the rocks, you just put one foot in front of the other and you'll get to your destination. Some of you are parents right now, some of you are grandparents, and you're thinking to yourself, this journey will never end. <laughs> Here's the reality, one foot in front of the other, one step into the next. And today we're gonna talk about baby steps. Baby steps, practical points for parenting for each and every one of us, found from Ephesians chapter six, verses one through four. Let's go ahead and see what it says together. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Father in heaven, my prayer today is that you would help us, help us all, each and every one, to grasp the truths of these scriptures. Lord, for the parents in the room, they need grace to understand your word and strength to obey it. For the grandparents in the room, they have a unique role. For the uncles and aunts who love their nieces and nephews that are not Christian or maybe their family that aren't not, don't know you. Lord, there's a responsibility that we as adults have for this next generation. I pray that you would teach us some practical principles that we could learn from this passage. I pray, Father, also that your Holy Spirit would touch on the hearts and the minds of those who are not yet believers, that they would see the truth of your word, the truth of your gospel, even in these moments. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Amen? Specifically, I'm looking for an amen from the front row. Amen? My son Jonathan is here. He is... Uh, turning 18 years old in a few weeks, and he's heading off to college tomorrow. There he is. I point him out because there's a story coming later that's very important. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. He actually gives a, it gives a reason behind why we're to obey our parents. For this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, meaning if you obey your parents and you show respect and honor to your parents, there is a benefit that comes along with this. Now, Jonathan's not the only underage person in the room. There are many teenagers in the room, and I wanna speak specifically to the teenagers in the room. The Bible says that you have a responsibility to honor your parents, that is show them love and respect, and to obey them because they have the rule over you. They are your boss. They are your authority. You said, I thought this was a partnership thing. You're wrong. You're wrong. Their house, their rules, you obey. You say, well, who cares? God does. God's like, okay, you obey your parents. Can I get any uh, teenage amens there? Amen. One. Very nice. Good. I thought that would be the way it is. Very good. <laughs> now, the Bible does give you a promise here. It says to the children who obey their parents and the Lord for this is right, and if you honor your parents, uh, the Bible says there's a promise, and that is it'll, it, that it may be well with you. You see verse 3? That it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. The promise is this, if you obey your parents and honor your parents, your life will go well and you will have a long life. You say, well, how does that happen? Because your mother and father will not kill you. Do you understand? So there's, a, there's an obviousness to this, but also your heavenly father is watching. Your heavenly father knows. Your heavenly father is wanting to bless your life. And here we see the cyclical nature of sowing and reaping. What we see here is a promise to children. Just honor and obey your parents, and as you do, as they follow the Lord, as you follow them, what will happen is it'll be blessed by you. Now notice, a lot of this, parents, I've really got to put this back on you. 
The reason I have to put this back on you is the context of Ephesians chapter six. Remember, all of this is built on mutual submission from Ephesians chapter five and verse 18 through 21. The truth is, as you follow the scripture and as you follow the Holy Spirit, what will happen is you become naturally submissive to one another. Daddy will submit himself to God the wife will submit herself to her husband. For those who think that's controversial, go back to next week and listen to last week's sermon. And then the children will subsequently submit themselves to the parents. Oftentimes, there are parents who will wonder, why aren't my children obeying and honoring me? And the question really is, why aren't you obeying and honoring God? Yes. See, all this is supposed to work together. It doesn't work if you take one puzzle piece out and now say, I'm just going to focus on this. And that's what we as parents want to do. We're like, my, my children, forget what husbands and wives need to do. My children better obey and honor me. Or wives will say, man, my husband better, my husband better just love me like Christ in the church, but you're not submitting to him. Or my uh, husband might say, my wife better submit to me, but he's not following Christ and sacrificing himself for his family. It all works together, this passage. You can't pick and choose. This is not Burger King, have it your way. You understand? You can tell I was raised in the 90s. There it is. It's an old campaign. All right. So what this does mean is mom and dad, as you are doing what you're supposed to be doing, your children now have an opportunity to obey you and honor you, and their life will be blessed for doing so. Then it says in verse 4, it says in verse 4, and your father's, and you fathers, mothers and fathers, by the way, you say, it doesn't say mothers. Yeah, that's because under the context of this passage, as a father is what a father needs to be, a mother is going to be what it needs to be. So both are included here. You fathers, bring up your children, or excuse me, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Meaning this, meaning do not raise your children in such a way that they grow up to be angry, bitter, wrathful people. Well, how can I avoid that, Pastor? Well, follow through Ephesians chapter 5. Submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Follow the Lord. And what will happen is as you raise your children, you will begin training them and admonishing them. Training means positively teach them what is true. Admonishing means correcting them where they're wrong. And in doing so, the family unit is supposed to work. Now, what we're doing here is looking at a biblical perspective of parenting. So if you want to know how a family should work, you should go to the creator of the family. That's God. God created the family, so he has very specific ways in which it should function. You might say, well, I read a book by somebody who told me the family should work differently. Awesome. You can go with that book if you choose. I'm going to go with a book written by the guy who actually created the family. There are different philosophies of parenting, and I understand that there are going to be some today that say, I don't agree with that philosophy of parenting. I totally agree that you understand you're following a different philosophy. What we're trying to do is show a biblical worldview of what the Bible says. If you're not a follower of Christ, if you're not a reader of Scripture, this is not applicable to you. You figure out another way, and you'll do great with your kids, I'm sure. What we're doing is we're showing a biblical worldview of how to love each other as spouses and raise our children as we walk through this passage. Now, you might be asking yourself, okay, Pastor, how do I practically raise the children? What are the practical steps by which I can raise these children? Little steps. Little steps in the right direction will make great progress. That's all. I say that because there are some grandparents in the room, some aunts, some uncles, some some, some parents, new parents, some parents of teenagers, 
and you feel this overwhelming pressure. When, when I was first given Jonathan in the first couple weeks or months of our, of our parenting, I'll never forget, probably first two or three weeks, I'm holding Jonathan like this, you know. Didn't even know how to hold a child at that point. You remember that feeling? And I had one of my friends, his name is John, John Shore. And he came up behind me one time and he put his hands on my shoulders. First time he saw me since the baby and he pushed down on my shoulders. And he said, hey, Josh. I said, yeah. He said, do you know what that is? I said, what? He said, that's the pressure of fatherhood. And it never goes away. I've learned that's true. You might be here today and you're saying, Pastor, I feel that pressure. What do I do? First of all, I want to congratulate you that you do feel that pressure. I think we live in a world today that's trying to tell you you should not feel, anxiety, uh, feel pressure about anything. You should feel a pressure to be a father. You should feel a pressure to be a good mother. You feel, should feel the responsibility, the weight of that responsibility. If you're here today and you feel no responsibility about the children you have, you have, you have created, this message is not for you. There's a whole nother message for you about how you need to become a follower of Jesus. But if you feel the pressure of being a parent and you're like, what do I do with this? How do I practically do this? How can I actually allow them to be raised for the glory of God? I'm going to give you four practical baby steps. If you're ready for them, say amen. amen. All right, number one, number one, first step, number one, number one, develop safety in the home. I want you to say number one with me, safety in the home. Say it with me, safety in the home. Say, why safety in the home? Because as Christians, or as, as parents, we understand how important it is to, how, how many of you see brand new parents for their first child, they baby-proof the entire house like this, and you know, everything's baby-proofed, right? And you're on your like fifth child, and you're like, the kid's gonna be fine, you know what I mean? But they're baby-proofing. Why do you baby-proof the house? Here's why, because children do things like this. You walk around the corner, and they're hanging, right? From, and like, what is, how did this, I thought I had a child, not a monkey, but they're all over the place. Uh, my, my son, uh, we were first, when we first were pastoring, we're standing at the front door of the church, and I'm telling you, we're brand new parents. And if you're a brand new parent here today and you feel like you have failed many times, join the club. My wife and I have failed many, many times. I'll tell you about one of our failures. The child was probably two, maybe 18 months, two years old. And we're standing right there at the front of the, and everybody's walking by, and hey, pastor, nice to see you. Hey, pastor, this is our first time, we're, we're doing. As we're doing it, we noticed Jonathan was running around the front. This is in an old storefront building. He's running around the, the, the but he's soaked. His head is wet, his hands are wet, his t-shirt is wet all the way down. But from the, from, from the belt down, he was dry, which was weird to us, because normally it was the opposite, you know what I mean? Like, what is going on? We ignored him. We just let him keep playing. We kept talking to people. And, and this went on for a while, and he would come out, and he was just fresh, wet again, and then he'd keep running around. And, and all of a sudden, as we're talking to somebody, I heard splashing coming from the public restrooms. <laughs> and you say, Pastor, why are you telling this story? It's because it's my la son's last Sunday in church. I felt it appropriate. If you've ever wondered why Josh will never shake hands with his son, this is why. I don't touch him to this day, to this day. 
You ever have a parenting fail? Ever have a parenting fail? How many of you parents have failed many or multiple times? Raise your hand. How many of you like that? Any perfect parents in the room? Anybody who's never made a mistake? Anybody? Okay, nobody's gonna raise their hand on that one. Here's why, because no matter how safe we can protect our homes, there are always moments where the lights may turn off. <laughs> no matter how, how safe we make our homes, there are always moments that we make mistakes and your kid's gonna touch an outlet they shouldn't touch or play in water they shouldn't play in. Are they gonna eat something they shouldn't or they're gonna swallow something that'll come out later. There's all sorts of things that are, and so don't stress out about that, but you do need to protect your home. Let me give you some practical ways to bring safety in the home. Number one, one way to practically bring safety in the home is be aware of media content. Be aware of media content. From the early ages, even as they're three, four, five years old, and they're watching little Disney shows and little Nickelodeon shows, understand that the media around you is not produced by Christians, it's produced by Corinthians. Now, I love Corinthians, just like the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, whatever Corinthians are out there that need to be saved, they can be saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. I love Corinthians the same way God loves Corinthians, but Corinthians are demented in their mind. The, the Bible uses the word reprobate. If you're, if you're unfamiliar with this concept, go back three or four weeks where I offended everybody and I talked about the fact that they're broken in their mind. It doesn't work. And these broken-minded people are creating content for your children to consume. So what you need to be aware of is no matter how family-friendly the organization or the company might appear, they're selling you on a product and they're producing a worldview that is not a Christian worldview. You just have to be aware of this. Are you aware of this? If you are, say amen. amen. Okay, so again, I'm not a Bible-thumping guy over here saying you should never let your children watch a cartoon. What I'm saying is that you need to be aware of what they're teaching your children, media content. What media are you allowing into your home? What streaming services are coming into your home without any type of filter on your, on your television? Do you realize that some of the major streaming services have pornographic material, but at the same time, they also have filters they've created for people, for religious people like you and me. That's what they think of us as religious people. And so even within that content, you can go to places like HBO Max and, and Disney Plus, and you can go to places like Netflix, and you can actually set uh, stringent things for your children to watch or for you to watch. You can do this. We do this even when it comes to our internet access. You need to protect your family as it relates to internet. Now, um, some of you are gonna think I'm super old school here, but here we go. Just last night, just last night, my son and I were sitting, yesterday afternoon actually, we were sitting together. We have a, a computer for him and a smartphone going to college, and, and we were installing some internet filters on his devices. You say, he's almost 18 years old going to college. I can't believe you would be filtering his internet. No, no, the same internet filters he has on his devices are the same ones I have on my devices. And I'm a 41-year-old man of God. Amen. And so these, these internet filters, what they do is they print, even though I'm a 41-year-old pastor and Christian, I'm also a 41-year-old man who is tempted by every temptation that every other man is tempted by. And so what I've done is put filters on my computer so that there's another pastor in town, anytime I would access something that is unseemly, he gets an immediate notice that tells him I access something that is unseemly. And I get a phone call. Hey, why were you looking at this? What's going on? 
See, this is a good thing. Same thing I have for my son. Let me ask you a question. Does your nine-year-old boy have more access to the internet than your pastor? I'm not telling you what to do, I'm asking a question. Does he need that type of access? Don't tell me, by the way, don't tell me you don't know how to do it. You just sold your refrigerator on some sort of a website, offer up. You can figure this out. Protect your family, bring safety when it comes to media. Here's another concept. Protect your family, bring safety when it comes to your, their friends, their friends. Are you aware of your children's friends? Children, listen to me, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right, honor your parents. If your parents have a problem with a certain friend, you need to back away from that friend because they see something that you don't see. Right. Parents, you need, to, you need to be bold enough to address your children as if they are still children and sit down with them and with reason explain to them, this person is not good for you, this person is good for you. No, that person is not coming over. This person is coming over. Work with your children. I've noticed this in two areas as it relates to Christian parents. Some Christian parents feel like they have no say over their children's friends, and so they let them just be with anybody, and they get into all sorts of trouble this way. Another group of Christian parents have so protected their children, they've protected them from all friends. Only your siblings are your friends. Your mommy is your best friend. And you're setting up that child for as much failure as the other parents. You need to help them develop friendships. Protect them. Bring safety into their home. Number three here, we should focus on their worldview. Safety in the home means bring, giving them safety as it relates to worldview. I touched on this just a moment ago as it relates to media. But, but let's talk about education and let's talk about celebrities. Let's talk about celebrities for a moment. The celebrities that you like and I like. We live in a celebrity culture. Does anybody here have a favorite movie star, a favorite athlete? Of course we do. The favorite politician? Understand these three realms are filled with Corinthians who are not Christians. Some of them to sell products or to get into office will pretend to be Christian so that you'll give them your money. That's how it works. But these people that are our celebrities are often not using and promoting the same worldview that you have as a Christian which means you need to protect them from that worldview. You say, how do I protect them? By challenging that worldview. Celebrities, that's absolutely true. Education system, is that's true. The education system that your child finds themselves in, you have to understand, is riddled with and filled with Corinthian thinkers, not Christian thinkers. You understand that, right? Now, I'm thankful at Southern Hills in our church, we, are, we have so many people that are involved in the public education and the Christian education system that are followers of Jesus Christ. Man, they're doing great on that mission field. But they are the minority, not the majority. And you are very naive. I love you, brother and sister, family. You can never come back. That's your choice. But you are very naive to think you can place your child inside of a Corinthian, Roman, American system, and they're going to teach them the same values that you're teaching them from the Bible. You're very naive to do so. You say, then what do I do, pastor? Here's what you do. If your child must be in a public school system run by the Corinthians, then you need to be highly involved in that education. You need to show up to every PTA meeting. You need to let your voice be made known. You need to read through the curriculum. You need to cross things out and say, this isn't true. This is true. 
You need to be deeply involved with the parent-teacher meeting on a constant basis. That's your world. You say, I don't have time for that. Then what you need to do is get them to a Christian education. There are great Christian schools all over the valley they can be a part of. Our kids go to a Christian school called Liberty Baptist Academy. That's one of many great schools. But here's the reality, what they need to be if you want them to have a Christian worldview. Now, again, some of you might be like, I don't think they need to have it. Fine, then don't. But if you want them to have a Christian worldview, understand, you are not going to offset 40 hours a week of secular worldview, Corinthian thinking, by bringing them to church twice a month. And this is what Christians do all the time. I don't understand why my child isn't a Christian. I don't understand why my child. It's because for 40 hours a week, for 13 years, you gave them to Corinthians, and two hours a month, when you felt like you could kind of finally show up to a service, you taught them about Jesus. No wonder they're more Corinthian than they are Christian. Am I offending anyone yet? There's another element, and that is homeschool. Homeschool is a great option, but it's not a great option for everyone. For example, Heather and I, we did not homeschool our children. Here's why. Because they would know nothing. (laughs) They would fail because we had failed them. Homeschooling is a great option. I am going to say it is an option that a lot of Christians rush to, but many Christians who are not prepared rush to it, and they failed their children. There is no easy option for any three of these. All of them are gonna take time, dedication, and work, no matter which option you take. But it is going to be your responsibility. Here's why. Please hear this. Because it is your responsibility to raise your children, not the government's. It is your responsibility to train them, to raise them, to make them and direct them in the path that you want them to go. This is our responsibility. And so you must, number one, provide safety in the home. Now, if you have questions about all sorts of things as it relates to safety in the home, things like, well, what about sleepovers? Or what about the unsaved family members? What about sports culture where many Christians are now worshiping a ball more than they do Jesus? What what do I do with those things? I wanna encourage you to go to this resource. It's called Growing Kids God's Way. I cannot teach you everything about Christian parenting in a 30-minute sermon. But that's why we've created a wonderful five-month class. You say, man, that's a big commitment. You have children. It's a five-month class that teaches us how to raise God-centered children in a secular society, how to have Christian children in Corinth. And man, I want to encourage you to take advantage of that class as it comes up. I know we have them coming up here in the fall. Number one, safety in the home. Can you say safety in the home? Say it with me. Safety in the home. Number two, fun in the home. Number two, fun in the home. This is such an important element that I'm about to share with you. Fun in the home. First generation Christians, those who does anybody here know what a first-generation Christian is? A first-generation Christian is your parents were not Christians. I mean, they may have showed up to church, you know, at Christmas and Easter, but they really weren't followers of Jesus. Oh, if you're here today and you only show up at Christmas and Easter and you happen to show up today, you're like, I'm a Christian, okay? I'm sorry to offend you. No, you're not. You're because you're not actually a follower of Jesus. You're a cultural Christian, which means you like to talk about Jesus occasionally and post something on your Facebook once a year. But a follower, a a Christian is somebody who follows Jesus daily, you see? They repented of their sins, they received Christ, and this is a lifestyle for you now. Now, 
For those of you who are raised by people who are nominally, culturally Christian, but they weren't really followers of Jesus Christ, for some of you, you are a first generation true Christian, a real follower, a real disciple of Jesus. And as such, what you tend to do is really hold on to that first point very tightly. Protect your children. Good. You understand how bad some of the things in the world are, so you can protect your children. The problem is some of you that are first-generation Christians are overly protective of your children, and you've protected them from fun. Like they're scared, you're scared to death of Rome, you're scared to death of Corinth, you're so scared of Las Vegas, you're so scared of America that they have never seen outside of their bedroom. And I'm telling you, I love you, you're making a mistake. You're making a big mistake. You should have fun with your kids. The number one thing they should remember about growing up in their home is not that you are holy, but that you are fun. They need to associate the fact that, man, our home was fun. Our home was fantastic. Yes, this is, we were followers of Jesus. Man, we had a great home, fun home. This is so important, so important. Why do I say this? I say this because, again, over and over, I watch and I pastor a lot of first-generation Christians, and there's a lot of nervousness around these kind of things. Things like, um, I'm gonna, by the way, I'm gonna use some practical examples. If you need to do damage control with your children later on, well, that's on you, okay? So here we go, all right? First-generation Christians get really nervous because they'll, they'll see, they'll, somebody will forward them a YouTube video about the history of Halloween. <gasps> pastor. Did you know back in 322 BC, there were these people called the Celts and they were worshipers of stones and all of a sudden now Halloween and the devil's gonna get your kids. Okay, all right. Then don't celebrate Halloween. Pastor, did you know that Disney is not a Christian corporation? <laughs> Disney is not a Christian corporation. And they have worldviews that we don't have, so we just don't, we don't, we don't celebrate Halloween and the, those princess costumes, we keep them from that, and we call it Reformation Day. That's what we do, that's what we do yeah. <laughs> And so many good-hearted, good-hearted Christian parents and first-generation Christians, they're so nervous about all these things that they seclude and they, their entire family, they insulate their entire family from anything that's fun in the world. And that's really problematic long-term. Let me tell you why. Because that, that seven-year-old's gonna turn 13 and all the other kids are gonna be talking about Black Panther. And you'll be like, we don't watch Black Panther. Why? Because we're Christians. And then you go to church and pastor's talking about Black Panther and you're like, oh no, oh no, oh no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Instead of isolating them from the culture, sit there with them and view the culture. View the culture. You can watch a movie with your kids, watch a superhero movie with your kids, and you can stop and be like, oh man, isn't that heroic how that person just sacrificed themselves for all those people? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that like Jesus, how he sacrificed himself for everybody? Isn't that amazing right there, what they just did? That is so different than the way Jesus would do it. Isn't that terrible that they would have that? And that was a good guy who did that bad thing. Boy, that's not good. You hear that word that they just used? Daddy doesn't use that word. Do you know why daddy doesn't use those words? Those are words for Corinthians. We're Christians. 
So we don't use those words. See, we live in the world, but we're not part of the world. And those are great moments to begin teaching your children right now as they are children that they are Christians in Corinth, but they are not them. Use those opportunities. Don't waste those opportunities. I'm telling you, you're setting yourself up for failure otherwise. My father taught us this. I remember years ago, um, our church was, there, there was a movie that came out on VHS. How many remember VHS? <laughs> I, I, like, how do you describe that to a Gen Zer? I have no idea. It's like a, you got a box, and inside the box, and you had to rewind it, or Blockbuster was going to pay you, you know, three bucks. You know, it's a, it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. <laughs> and you take, we took the VHS home, and we put it on, and it was 1990. It just came out on VHS, The Little Mermaid. And it was a big thing. It was a big thing in our culture. But in some Christian churches, in fact, ours, we had many people say, we won't let our children watch The Little Mermaid. She has those shells. And it's like, oh, my goodness, the whole thing. <laughs> like, we, I'm not kidding. People were talking about that. And it's like, golly, like, would you chill out? I remember we're sitting there watching as a family, and uh, our whole family, and we're like loving Sebastian, and we're loving the story, and, and all of a sudden, there's this moment where Ariel clearly disobeys her father, and it's the turning point of the entire story. The turning point of the entire story is that Ariel, in a rebellious 15-year-old spirit, disobeys her father, and in doing so, her entire nation is at stake because she wanted what she wanted. At the, end of the at the end of the story, instead of turning it off and going to bed, my father turned it off and said, hey, turn on the lights, let's talk. Now, now I gotta help you. Some of you think family devotions, some of you think family devotions is you gotta open the Bible, turn to Proverbs chapter seven, and let's read for an hour and a half the word of God. <laughs> That's great, if that works for you. Sometimes family devotions is you turn off The Little Mermaid and you talk about Jesus. I remember my, my father turned it off and said, okay, let's talk. He said, did you notice when everything went wrong? And we're like, what happened? Do you remember how Ariel was told by her dad, don't go, but she disobeyed, didn't she? What happened when she disobeyed? Well, her father was turned to a seaweed. <laughs> you don't want your father to be turned to a seaweed, do you? <laughs> And we're sitting there, I'm not kidding, just like you, we're sitting there laughing, but the point is made. And then he talked about how God calls us to obey, and that when we disobey, oftentimes bad things take place in our lives and the lives around us. Why don't we pray and go to bed at this point? And that's, that was fun in the home. Do you understand what I'm saying? So look, first generation Christians, some of you, some of you need to put some protections in the home. Some of you just need to allow some fun back into the home, lest your children grow up and you have raised them to have wrath against you and against everything else. Trying to help, number three. Number three, here's the third thing we need in the home. Number three, number three. Go to it on the screen, number three, because I forgot it. Romance in the home, romance in the home. <laughs> romance in the home. Hear this and hear it well, my dear sweet sister and my dear sweet daddy friend, okay? Here it is. The number one most important thing you can provide for your children is a mommy and daddy who are in love. Amen. I understand divorce has taken place in homes. I understand that fighting takes place. Things are not perfect in some, and I'm not here to make you feel badly if you're a single parent trying to raise. God bless you. We as a church are here to help. But if God has blessed you so far that you are still in a relationship and the family unit is whole, listen to me. 
the number one thing you can provide for your family, the number one thing your children need is not a new video game machine, it is not a higher education, it is not food. Food can come after this. Romance of mommy and daddy. That daddy is deeply in love with mom and that mom is deeply in love with daddy. That's what they need. That's what they need. Amen. Which means, now some of you are under this, uh, this false Corinthian, Roman, Ephesian, American worldview that romance is something that happens to you. I don't know what happened, Pastor. I was in love, but now I fell out of love. You have a twisted worldview of love that has been shaped more by J Jane Austen in Hollywood than you do from the Bible. Love is a decision, and it takes a lot of work Amen. and a lot of time. Which means, my dear sweet sister, you need to practically set aside your life to do whatever it takes to make him be in love with you. <gasps> And sir, you need to do whatever it takes to practically set aside your life to make her fall in love with you. That should be a priority. That should be what you're doing. Everything that was stated last week needs to be in your life, which practically works out like this. If you have older children, you need to prioritize date nights and weekend getaways. You getting away with your spouse for a few days in a hotel room on the beaches of California is more important than you going to Disneyland for a few days with the kids. Put it right there. For some of us, listen, I love you, but for some of us, it, once you have a baby in your home, that's great. They sleep in your bedroom for a few weeks. Some of you a few months because that's your preference, that's great. That child needs to leave the bedroom and get out of that bedroom soon. Amen. Yes, amen. Put them in the, some daddy's like, wow. <laughs> if I touched a nerve. This dude's like, I'm coming back to this church right now. I'm like, I like this place. This place is good. I'm trying to help you, I'm trying to help. Look. I love you, I know, I know why. You have a natural instinct that God gave you that you are prioritizing over everything else. That natural instinct needs to be quelched at times so that you can focus on what God wants you to focus on. You say, but they'll be in that room and they will cry. <laughs> you mean a baby might cry? Dear God, what are we gonna do? God, help us, the baby is crying. Let the baby cry because they'll never remember any of it. <laughs> and a few years later, what will happen is they'll have a mommy and daddy who still like each other and maybe that's preferable. Do you see, you see what I'm trying to say? Yes. You say, but I read a book by so-and-so. Great, fantastic. Show me that he was a Corinthian or a Christian and I'll validate. Also, let me see his marriage. Also, let me see their kids. That's fair, right? Romance, prioritize romance in the home. You say, I need help with that. One way you can get help is a practical resource you may have not heard of around here. It's called Growing Kids God's Way. It's a great class. <laughs> One of their great things that they do in this class is they, they, they teach the way in which you prioritize your kids is by prioritizing couch time. That means together time, husband and wife communication. You say, how do I know if I've been romantic enough with my spouse? 
All right, here's what you do. My dear friend, sir, sir, you hear me, sir? You say, I want to be romantic with my spouse. How do I know if it's enough? Ask her. Sit down with her and say, hey, pastor talked about being romantic and developing our intimacy. Have I, have I spent enough time talking with you? What do you think our communication is like? Do you think we're intimate the way you would like to be intimate? Ask her. Ask her. Ask her. My dear sister, you say, how do I know if I'm giving him enough intimacy, togetherness? You say, oh, pastor, I don't want to open that box. You know, I don't, I don't want to. <laughs> Ask him. I think I know what his answer will be. Well, then you know what his answer is, then focus on it. Because the number one thing you can do for your children is provide them a mommy and daddy who love each other. Amen. They're gonna be gone one day, and it's gonna be sad some days, and it's gonna be awesome other days. It's gonna be fantastic. <laughs> but focus on you. Number four, last thing we need in the home. Number four, here it is. You need Jesus in the home. Now, you might be saying, I would put that number one. Well, when you're pastoring a church, you can put it number one. I'm putting it number four, not in order of importance, just that's where it fell. Jesus in the home. Now, here, here's the question. Do you focus on Jesus in the home? If you do, you're gonna have him in church. You're gonna have him in church. Have your children in church. Can I get an amen? amen. Look, li listen, listen. I'm always amused by Christians. <laughs> who watched their children walk away from God but never had them in church, right? They got to travel, they're gonna travel ball every weekend for six months because their child has an aspiration to be a mediocre high school baseball player. <laughs> and so what they do is they sacrifice their entirety of their relationship with God and their children's. Look, if you don't prioritize church when they're young, what makes you think they're gonna prioritize church when they're older? Like suddenly they're gonna become better Christians than you? So why are you not prioritizing your, day, your weekly church attendance? Don't, don't come to me, please, 15 years. No, you will, and I'll allow you to, and I'll pat you on the back, we'll buy you a coffee, and I'll be like, man, I'm really sorry. But 15 years from now, you go, I don't know what my kids, you came to church once a month. So first of all, Jesus in the home. But secondly, not just you in the house of God, how about Jesus in your house, like SOS radio, Christian music constantly playing. Other music is not wrong. Have music playing in your home, but does your home flow with Christian music? Does your car flow with Christian music? Do your kids know the songs of the Christian, uh, the Christian uh, uh, songbook? Do they know these things? What about watching television shows like The Chosen? where you can sit down with your kids and walk through. By the way, you'll love this show. I love this one. You say, because it's Christian? No, I hate Christian movies. Most Christian movies are terrible. Have you noticed how bad they are? This one is good. It's really well done. Sit down and watch this with your kids to talk about Jesus and the disciples and which disciple you most like. Jesus and the home. Let's talk about what it means to practically be uh, uh, about uh, children in church. I said, what do you mean children in church? In our Kidopolis program, where all of the children are being trained, you understand when I preach right now, what I'm doing to you is I'm preaching to adults and occasionally I reference teenagers. I am not preaching to children. Why? Because we have an entire developed 
program and really good ministers of God who are trained to talk to children about Jesus at their level. And then we provide them all sorts of really good paperwork. And what you're supposed to do with that paperwork is you're supposed to go to lunch and throughout the week you're supposed to look at it and say, what did you learn here? What is this about? Tell me about Jesus. If you'd only, and look, we all have different, and this I'm gonna clearly say is a preference of mine so you can do it your way. But it, I have found if you only have your children hearing the pastor, what you're doing is developing them to sit through long services where they ignore everything because they don't understand what's going on. Instead, we have a very strategic system that helps them interact at each age level so that they can get all the way to a place where they can interact with the adult level. The Ascent is a great place for this. My teenagers come every single week tonight at six o'clock. They're gonna be here for the Ascent with Pastor Caleb and his entire team. And they're gonna be here today. We're worshiping the Lord and they're gonna be talking about things that teenagers face as it relates to scripture. It's an amazing program. It's an incredible opportunity. And these are the things that are offered to us. Why, why? Because, listen, listen, your children, hear me, your children need Christian community. Okay, this next thing is really hard to say. Are you ready for it? If you realize that you need Christian community, but your children only need you, you are deeply prideful. They need to be among other Christians. They need to sit and talk about the scripture. They need to understand what's going on. So what we've done here at the church is we've attempted to provide that in that way. And we want you to be involved. You say, well, I'd like to have a say on what's going on in that. Awesome. We want you to join and sign up for Kidopolis and you can serve right along with them. Here's what we want to do. We want to prioritize our children so that we can raise a next generation of Christians Amen. that can help influence the kingdom of God worldwide. And if we lose our children, we lose everything. You say, man, I don't want to lose my children. What do I do? Here's what you do. Don't let the pressure overweigh you. Just take simple steps. Step number one, we ask some safety measures in our home. Step number two, we need to make sure we have some fun in our home. Step number three, mom and dad prioritize mom and dad. That's how it works around here. And then number four, Jesus is the most important thing in our home. These simple steps will lead practically to a home that functions the way Paul wants the home to function, the way Christ does as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word today. Thank you for the truth you've given us. Lord, what a great opportunity it's been to study the scripture. You've challenged us in so many ways. You've really hit our worldview in so many ways because so often we tend to think more like the Corinthian than we do like Christ. So Lord, as we meditate on these things, as we think through these things, we pray that these Christians in this room would come to conclusions that would honor you and would raise the next generation for the glory of God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for bringing us together now. I do pray for my unbelieving friends that may be here today. I pray that you would continue through the power of your Holy Spirit to draw them to salvation, that they too would get to a place where they repent of their sin, receive you as Savior, and begin a new journey that leads to truth in this life and eternal glory with you. In Jesus' name we pray.